Good morning. It's weird saying for the second time. Uh, let me just put this here. There we go. Cool. So, from last week, we started doing this series of sermons uh, in the seven messages to the churches in the book of Revelation. And if you know me, you know I'm pretty excited to always speak on the book of Revelation because I kind of have an obsession with the book. Uh, and last week, we, we went through the, the first one of those churches, which was the church of Ephesus, which makes sense because Paul, uh, Paul, not Paul, John was writing from the island of Patmos, which is this island off the coast of Turkey, which if you take a boat straight, you get to Ephesus, on the port of Ephesus. And once you get there, if you know the, the trajectory that they would do with the posts and letters, they will go up the road north, and you would arrive in Smyrna, which is the second church in the series, and it's where we are. So we are moving up north, and then after Pergamum, we start going south again. So uh, the text is Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. And this is what it says. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity that we have to be here as your uh, people without the need to socially distance anymore, that we can worship you as a family of believers and that we can be gathered to learn about your word, what you have to say for us today, that we may, be, that we may have our minds renewed and our lives transformed, that we may be more and more like you. That's what I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. So, I thought we could start with a little bit of context so that we understand the message to the church in Smyrna. And to understand Smyrna, uh, what we would call the beautiful Smyrna, or what the ancients would call the crown of Asia, and they would call the crown of Asia because the city was very beautiful. It had all these stadiums and temples and libraries. 
Uh, and people from all around the world would go to Smyrna to see, uh, to see the city. And, but, but the city also had uh, quite the worshipful heart. But instead of worshiping God, the city was very much inclined to worship the empire and the Greco-Roman gods. So much that about 300 years before the book of Revelation was written, uh, and during that time Smyrna still wasn't uh, part of the Roman Empire, the city decided to build a temple for the goddess Roma because they adored the gods of the Roman Empire. Now forward back to the times of Jesus when uh, the emperor of the empire was Tiberius, Smyrna was allowed to build uh, another temple in the city, now for the emperor, for the emperor Augustus and Livia and to the whole senate. And so you could see that this very wealthy and beautiful and cultural city had quite the heart for the empire, the emperor and its gods. And so to be a Christian living in the city, perhaps you would have the the reaction that sometimes us who have moved from somewhere else to Amsterdam, we would have when we get here and say, wow, look at the city. It's so nice, the church here, the, the building. And it's so much full of culture. And so we enjoy it greatly. But one of the problems the Christians had in Smyrna was this worshipful heart that the city had. Because how would, you, how would you fit in that context? But not only that, another aspect of that context that is important is that about two centuries before uh, Revelation was written, in Smyrna there was already established a, a Jewish community. And they already had a synagogue and they were well established. And uh, the Jewish religion in the Roman Empire was, was regarded as what they called a religio licta or a licit or a legal religion. It was a religion that was allowed to be in the empire. And by this, I mean that they, they would be exempt to pay certain taxes to the empire and, and they w would be able to live out their, their own values within that empire, provided they didn't go against the values of the empire. And for the Christians, this, this was also a problem. Because you would be placed between these two, let's say, uh, worldviews. On the one hand you would have the, the Romans who look at the Christians and say, well, they don't, they don't worship our gods. They don't come into our temples. Uh, they, they have just one. And they have a Messiah who proclaims to be king above kings, which can be quite threatening when you have a people who says that the emperor is not the king, but there's someone else who is above the emperor which in that context, the emperor was usually regarded as 
some kind of son of God. So it could, you could have some problems there. But also with the Jewish community, you could have a few problems. Because they would say, well, they claim to worship the God of, the, the God of Israel, but, but they have this Messiah who spent three, four years doing some stuff and he died. And then they claim that he rose again. And for them, uh, the, the Christians were considered kind of a, like a cult or a sect. And the thing is, uh, one of the things we learn about the first century, or we often hear about the first century, is that there was this widespread systemic persecution against the Christians. Which, when you look at all the evidence that we have about that time, that might not be the case. The persecution was quite local. It happened in some places, but it was, wasn't spread throughout the empire. And you can see this when you look at the messages to the seven churches, that some will face persecution while others won't. And why they won't, you'll hear in the upcoming messages. And so how did this persecution happen for the Christians? Well, it wasn't from the top down. It wasn't the emperor says, let's just persecute all the Christians. They would say, no, let them live in the empire. But if someone has something against them and denounces them, then we'll go after them. So the persecution wasn't started from the top down as it was from the bottom up, where their neighbors were denouncing them to the empire. And so how was the relationship of the Christians with the Romans and the Jewish community there? And I, I was reminded of an... An example, there were two ancient Christian writers, uh, Tertullian and Ignatius, who wrote about one disciple of the Apostle of John. This disciple was called Polycarp. He eventually became bishop in the city of Smyrna. And uh, Polycarp, he was martyred, he was killed uh, because of his faith. And there is a text that talks about his martyrdom, the, the, the way he was killed in Smyrna, in that city. So I wanted to read just a, like a little part of that letter, because I think it's pretty interesting. So part of the letter says, And Polycarp has confessed that he is a Christian. This proclamation, having been made by the herald, the whole multitude, both of the heathen, that is the Romans and the non-Jews, and the Jews who dwelt at Smyrna, cried out with uncontrollable fury and in a loud voice, this is the teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians, and the overthrower of our gods. He who has been teaching many not to sacrifice or to worship the gods. Speaking thus, they cried out and besought Philip the Asiarch to let loose a lion upon Polycarp. So things weren't that easy in Smyrna. 
And so the question is, what do you do in a situation like this? Where the, the possibility of persecution can happen. Well, you can have two options. On the one hand, you can decide to remain faithful to God and to the Jesus whom you proclaim to love. And be willing to face any potential consequences that that may have. And on the other hand, you can choose to compromise your faith or change a little bit to suit better or fit better with the culture and values of the society you're in. And the question is, what did the Smyrnans do? From what we read in Revelation, it seems like they chose to remain faithful. And they were already beginning to suffer the consequences of this choice. And so when you have a church, a community, who decides to be faithful to Jesus, and because of this, they begin to face drastic consequences, as we read with Polycarp, what is the message of Jesus to these people? And his message in Revelation 2, especially in verse 10, is do not fear. Now, if you've ever gone through some kind of struggle uh, and you have a friend who's trying to, you know, be a friend and they just say, oh, you know, just don't worry. Don't worry about it. And you say, what do you mean don't worry about it? You don't know what I'm going through. You can't say don't worry about it. Oh, relax. Don't, you don't need to be afraid. What do you mean don't need to be afraid? You know, we, we can have... This, this thing. And Jesus says this. He says, do not fear. And not only do not fear, he says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Then you say, what do you mean do not fear? I'm about suffering, I think. Suffering is a legitimate cause for fear. Now, uh, for this sermon, I want to teach you a word or a term. It's not a theological term. It's a literary term. And it's called... Because that's nice. We come to church to learn about Jesus and some vocabulary. It, it works well. And this word, this term, is called chiasmus. Now, if you don't know what a chiasmus is, don't worry. Don't Google it so that you won't spoil the thing. Uh, I promise you, by the end of the sermon, you'll know what a chiasmus is. So what I want to do is to start looking at this message, but not from the beginning. I want to start in the middle, and then we'll work our way from there. So he begins with his message, do not fear what you are about to suffer. And then so the question is, what do you mean don't fear? How am I not going to fear? You don't know what I'm going through. Now, in order to understand why Jesus is saying don't fear, we have to look at what comes before the do not fear and what comes after the do not fear. So what comes before is verse 9. 
He says, I know your tribulation, your intentional struggle, and your poverty. And then he says, I'm strange, but you are rich. Yeah, you have poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So, Jesus says he knows three things. Their tribulation, or their, intent, their struggle, uh, their poverty, and the slander. And the question is, what does this mean? Well, the tribulation seems pretty obvious. They're going through all these struggles. Some of them are uh, being denounced uh, by the Jewish community. They are being arrested. Some are even being killed. But he also, and which might explain the slander, the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Jesus has some very harsh word for those who are denouncing uh, his people. But he also says, I know your tribulations and your poverty. And the question is, why poverty? Were they poor? Which is weird, because they're living in like this majestic, beautiful, wealthy, cultural city. What do you mean their poverty? Well, one of the things that happened in, in most of these cities in Asia Minor was that all the temples of the gods and of the emperor, they were maintained by the elite of the city. And the elite were not, not only supporting the temples financially, but they were also priests and priestesses in those temples. And what would often happen is that people would go into the temples, participate in all the religious aspects that were happening in those temples, and in that context, they would have access to the elite of the city, and they would be able to do their networks and their businesses, and you know, they, their lives would prosper. But this presented a problem for the Christians. How are they going to have their networks and their business and their access to the elite of the city if they can't go to the temples? Because in order to go there, they would have to worship Roma and Dionysius and Apollo and all of those gods. And Smyrna had a lot of gods. So if they can't go inside the temples, it means that they can't do all those networks. And if they can't do it, how are they going to prosper in that setting? So you see, the situation is quite tricky for them. And so when you look at the message Jesus tells them, he says, don't fear. And our initial reaction was, what do you mean don't fear? Well, you don't know my situation. And then we look what came before, and now our argument changes. We say, what do you mean don't fear? You know what I'm going through. You know the situation with them denouncing us, some of us going to jail, some of us being arrested, being killed. You know that I can't go to the temples to worship the gods, so we don't have access to the important people of the city to be able to do our businesses. What do you mean don't fear? But in order to understand the do not fear, we have to understand what comes before, but also what comes after. Because then we will learn that Jesus knew 
not only what they knew about the situation, but he knew more than what they apparently knew about the situation. After the do not fear, in verse 10, he says, Behold, or look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation, or struggles, intentional struggles, the persecution, all of that. So you say, okay, don't fear. You don't know what I'm going through. Then we change and say, okay, don't fear. You know what I'm going through. What do you mean don't fear? And now you say that the situation is not what it seems, but what is behind this is an entity that is against me. That doesn't sound very reassuring to not fear. It seems the opposite. I'm much more anxious now because I thought it was just people after me and now I have the devil and he is operating through the system that is oppressing us. And what is the devil doing? He is about to throw some of you into prison, which what was happening to them, at least some of them, that you may be tested. Like what we said before, if you're in a situation like this, what is the test? Do I remain faithful and be prepared to face any potential consequences of my faithfulness to Jesus? Or do I compromise my faith in order to have things go well for me? And that's what he's doing, he's testing. But Jesus throws a little grace in this verse. He says that they will have this tribulation, but it will be for 10 days. And in Revelation, numbers are very symbolical, uh, which means that their tribulation uh, won't last forever. It is limited. Which is funny from the first message when he talks about uh, their current situation and they say, I know your poverty, but then he also throws a little grace there. He says, but you are rich. And then you say, what do you mean I'm rich? Why do you mean my problems are temporary? Doesn't feel temporary to me. And that's what usually happens when we go through struggles. It doesn't feel temporary. And it doesn't feel very nice. It feels like it's eternal. And it's never going to go, never going to go away. So, don't fear. And we say, you don't know what I'm going through. Then we look at what came before and we say, don't fear. You know what I'm going through. What do you mean, don't fear? And then Jesus reveals what is behind this is the enemy of our souls is behind this. And we say, what do you mean, don't fear? It's not only the people, there's like this entity behind this. How am I not going to fear? It seems impossible to not fear. But in order to understand this, we have to spread even more and go to the beginning and end of the message. So the beginning of the message, he says, 
and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So three things here that are important. In this beginning, we have uh, a description of Jesus. But he doesn't say the words of Jesus. He, he will characterize Jesus in a specific way. And if you look at all the messages to the churches, the way Jesus is characterized, they all appear in chapter 1. When John has a vision of Jesus, all these characteristics are there in chapter 1. Most of them. But it's interesting, at the beginning he says, the words of, and then he will give this description. Because a better way to translate this, the words of, would be, thus says. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, and I, I was to ask you, okay, where, where in the Bible does it say something like, thus says the Lord, and then you have something. You would say, well, I think it's like the Old Testament, like the prophets used to say this a lot. Thus says the Lord. Which is exactly right. Because one thing that is very important about Revelation is that it's a text completely immersed in the Old Testament. The language of Revelation is very much an Old Testament language. And this... Thus says, in the times of the first century, was already an archaic expression. No one was using this. So much that if you look at all the manuscripts we have on the first century, uh, the only place you will find this expression, thus says, is only in the Bible. And more specifically, one time in the book of Acts, and all the other times in the messages to the seven churches. So he's bringing this prophetic message to the church. It is God revealing his message to his people. And where does this thus says here, what is it referring to? He says, thus says the first and the last. And like I said, it's an Old Testament language. And where is he getting this from? He's getting from Isaiah chapter 44. And look what Isaiah 44 verse 6 says. Thus says the Lord. So now here is not referring to Jesus but to God. So Revelation is painting this picture. Yeah, Jesus and God, yeah, the same. But look at how he describes God in Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. And what is the message of the Lord, the King of Israel, his Redeemer, and the Lord of hosts? I am the first and the last. So what is Jesus doing here? He is saying, look, don't fear. And you say, what do you mean, don't fear? You don't know my situation? Yeah, I know your situation. Don't fear. What do you mean? You know my situation. How can you say don't fear? I know, and I know who is behind this. Don't fear. And you say, well, how do I not fear? You know my situation, and you know this horrible entity behind this? 
How, how am I supposed to not fear? Then we have to look at who Jesus is. He gets this language from Isaiah portraying himself as Lord and King of Israel. He said, are you afraid of the empire? Are you afraid of the emperor, the king who proclaims to be Lord, who proclaims to be God? I am the Lord. I am the king. And are you afraid of what they might do to you? That put you in, in prison? They will put you in bondage? I am the redeemer. The redeemer is sending this message to you. So then we're like, okay. But it's still is difficult for me to say to not fear. Because, you know, the situation is kind of intense. But Jesus has another characteristic. He is the one who died and came to life. And then the, 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 ends, the question we might have, we say, okay, I understand, don't fear. I understand you know the situation that is going on. I understand you know what is behind this situation. And I understand who you are. You are the sovereign God above everything. You are the true king, the Lord, the redeemer. You are the one who died by the denouncement of the Jews and by execution by the empire. But you came to life. And I'm here in this situation. Ah. Yeah, we may share the characteristic of dying, but I'm gonna die. You came to life. Uh, where does that leave me? I'm not like you to not fear. You, you already rose. Now let's go back to that term I talked about earlier, chiasmus. A chiasmus is a literary device or a rhetorical device that poets would use very much, especially Hebrew poets in the Old Testament. There are plenty of chiasmus where in, in the poem or in the message, the first part of the poem would be a mirror to the last part of it. And the second part of the poem would be a mirror to the second to last part of it. And it will go this way, like this funnel, until you get to the center of the message where you would have the, the climax of all the message. And this is what's happening here in the message to Smyrna. The center of the message is don't fear. But we only understand the center when we begin to look at this mirroring messages in that letter. So don't fear, I know your situation, and I know who is behind that situation. But how can I still not fear? Well, let's spread even more to the beginning and end of the message. You don't, you don't fear because the one speaking to you, he is the true Lord and the true King, and he is the Redeemer, and the one who died and came to life. So the question is, What is the mirror to the characteristics of Jesus in the message? So we have to go to the end. When you get to the end of the message, you have another 
command or another saying of Jesus. He says, be faithful. And not only be faithful, be faithful unto death, which is what he was. It is one of his traits. He died. He was faithful until the end. And so we say, mm, okay, be faithful. I can try until death. That's, that's a bit tricky because you died, but you rose. What does that mean for me? But he says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So the, the comparison holds up because Jesus is saying in the same way that I was faithful and I died, I rose again. And this trait, I want to share it with you. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Now the term crown is not like a kingly crown, the, the, the gold. It's more like a wreath. You know, in the ancient Greek games where they would have the leaves that they would give to the runner who would win the games. They, they would give this either to like in those games or in the army when they would uh, win some kind of war. The, the soldier would receive, would receive the wreaths. And, he, and he, he's saying here, to the conqueror, to the one who wins, who is faithful to the end, who doesn't compromise his faith because of the culture and society that wants you to be in line with its values. He says, this one, even if he goes to death, he will receive the wreath of life. And he ends the message saying, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he puts here in the plural. The whole message of this whole time has been for Smyrna. But now he expands. And why does he expand? Because he understands that the situation happening in Smyrna could happen in other cities as well. And they could take throughout history different shapes and forms. And they could happen in our context as well. In our work, in our university, in our social circles, where we may feel the pressure to compromise our faith in order to be aligned with what the culture believes. And what Jesus is saying is be faithful and don't fear. Because if you are faithful, even if you go through struggles, which you likely will, at least what's happened to them, in the end, you will receive the wreath of life. So what is Jesus doing here? He wants us to look at our context, which is complicated, and it, it has its ups, but it also has its downs. And he wants us to look at all of our struggles, and he wants us to get a higher perspective on them. Because if we look at our situation from what is happening around us and even if we understand who is behind this it is only when we get a higher perspective of who Jesus is and what he promises us is that we are able to understand that do not fear 
He is unveiling or he is disclosing this new reality for us. And the Greek term for unveiling or discovering is, in the Greek, is apocalypsis, which is revelation. It's the theme of the book. And he ends saying, and the one who conquers, the victor, the one with the wreath of life, will not be hurt by the second death. So the message to the Smyrnans and to us is don't fear. He understands what you're going through. He understands what's behind that. But we have to understand who he is and what he did and what he, who he is and what he did, the impact that that has for our lives that calls us to be faithful because in the end, we will receive the wreath of life. And like I said, the characteristics of Jesus in the messages, they mostly come from the first chapter when John has a vision. And the promises in all the messages, in the end of all the messages, they all come from the end of the book when he has a vision of the new heavens and the new earth and new Jerusalem. He says, if you are faithful to me, if you strive to be like me, you'll get the happy ending in the end. Amen.